Welcome to Transcending Comics, a podcast dedicated to trans representation in comic books, manga, and webtoons, both on panel and behind the scenes. I'm your host, Tommy, and joining me today is the writer of The Chromatic Fantasy from Silver Sprocket, which the show's first ever guest, Emma Jane, described as the best comic she's read all year. And it's become my personal favorite comic in the surprisingly competitive genre of queer sword fighting romance fantasies. Here today to discuss his incredible debut graphic novel, writer and cartoonist, H.A. Welcome to the show, H.A. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about the chromatic fantasy, both from other creators. And I just spoke with the publishing team from Silver Sprocket last week. And yours was like one of the main books they're hyped about putting out, especially (laughs) with like the special gold print page style you've got. Thank you. Everyone, everyone seems really hype about the gold, the gold pages. I'm glad that glad we went ahead with the gold pages. Mm-hmm. So, H.A., tell us a bit about your work as a cartoonist so far and how it brought you eventually to the chromatic fantasy. I don't feel like I've really done like a lot of like work as a cartoonist, but I have been like just kind of messing around drawing some original comics and some just like fan comics since I was a teenager mm. kind of thing. And I've like... I've done the thing where you have like a really long, really elaborate comic that you've been working on since you were 14 kind of thing. And I've Mm. started that over and over and over again. And eventually I did finally um, give up on that this year or not, not this year, but like whenever, whenever I started drawing the the chromatic fantasy, I, I was like, I need to just finish something, even if it's not that good. Like I need to just, even if it's not the elaborate thing that I've been working on since I was 14, that everyone has i need to just finish something so mm. uh, and i mean starting off with a comic over 300 pages long and managing to finish that up and tie it all together for a first comic is pretty incredible uh, thank you but how would you pitch the chromatic fantasy to potential readers or listeners of the show that haven't come across the book in the wild yet it's like a queer avant-garde fantasy kind of in the middle ages also kind of just silly oh god i'm not good i'm not good at pitching this i'm so sorry (laughs) um i don't know they're like oh i i did come up with like a good one at some point where i was where it's a two trans guys one of them is a disgraced ex-jester and the other one is a disgraced ex-nun and they're causing problems and they're like stupid like bill and ted kind of Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a very apt description uh (laughs) i very much like the like 90s rocker slacker bro vibe between the two despite them being like adept swordsmen so it was a lot of fun thank you now one of the first things that stood out to me and seems to stand out to a lot of people when reading the chromatic fantasy is all the elements of modern life that you've incorporated into the book like having phones cans of pbr and even like cars when the scene allows for it uh how would you describe the world you've built in this book to readers? And like, what were you mainly pulling influence from for this? Um, God, I was just pulling influence from like anything that I think is cool, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I was kind of just doing whatever I thought was funny in the moment. But I really like I really wanted them to also feel like modern queer people because like they are like fantasy characters, but they're fantasy characters who are usually like a metaphor for modern people and kind of and 
also kind of like whenever I'm doing like, cause I, I used to be like a nerd who does fandom stuff and I kind of still am. Mm-hmm. And I feel like whenever I'm talking about like fandom characters, even if they're in like some like fantasy setting, I'm also like kind of translating and I'm always being like, yeah, he also like is, he also like drinks White Claw and et cetera. <laughs> like he's this type of guy. He, they're like sitting in their car listening to this type of music doing this type of thing they go to mcdonald's and they get this order Mm. so i kind of just wanted to like bring that all together into one experience on that like very modern portrayal of queer characters in the book uh, i I did think it was really interesting how like while this takes place in a world of high fantasy with dragons and sorcerers and such the portrayal of the two trans men main characters feels very real And I'm curious if it was always your plan to not involve any magic elements in their physical transition in the book. I feel like I didn't really think about that. Do you mean like, why does Jules make a deal with the devil to transition and then he doesn't do anything for him? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I should have done that. I don't I don't have a very good answer for that. I actually no, I am I am thinking about that. I'm I'm secretly I'm writing more of this and I am going to address that. Mm hmm eventually no. i don't know i like, don't have I a good thought, answer for that one i'm really sorry like i thought it was kind of a nice touch because one like i give points to the devil a little bit for being like well okay just because you're not like um, post-op doesn't mean you're not a man to me like fuck off and like i i think it's cool we don't have to see through the lens of like okay this person takes a magic pill or like gets to do a little sailor moon transformation sequence and all of a sudden like all their transition goals are achieved yeah. uh, and yeah, like, I, I felt like this added a nice dose of realism to an otherwise high fantasy story. I think also a lot of the, like, vibes and things that I was thinking about was kind of, like, disappointment with the limitations of transition. Mm. There's a number of sequences in the book where we see Jules talking to, like, this other darker version of his inner self. Is this meant to be just, like, Jules's own negative thoughts, or is this meant to be some incarnation of the devil as like this worse version or this like terrible partner that's like even going as far as telling them to kill themselves because things didn't turn out their way. I generally think of other jewels or jewels B um, as he is referred to in my notes (laughs) as being like jewels recreating the abuse he experienced as a child onto himself. Like he's like, after you get out of an abusive situation, if you haven't really like worked to get better yet, a lot of the time you're just kind of continuing to like, you're still continuing to function as though you're in that situation. And that's really more what he is supposed to to be to me. Okay. So it's more of a matter of like a trauma response or like an ongoing, like coping with what he's been through. Yeah. Like that's just kind of like his internal voice or like sometimes or whatever whatever you'd like to call it in like kind of pop psych terms of your like inner child or your like the inner child versus the inner adult psychological concept Mm. on the other end uh we don't get to see much of casper's like inner monologue or like what's going on in their head do you feel like they're as conflicted as jules is about like where they are and their identity or like do you think they're more confident in how they present themselves to the world or like not struggling in the same ways Casper, I was sort of thinking of like, like gender identity wise, I think that Casper is more like non-binary with it and is also very comfortable with that and has been pretty comfortable with his whole thing. 
for a while. I feel like he probably transitioned a lot younger and is like generally just just living like that now and doesn't really think about it. So on one hand, he's he's more comfortable with that aspect of himself. And then he's also he's like been through his experiences, he's been through like his trauma and he's he feels like he has gotten a, a handle on himself and he feels like he's healed in some way even though he probably really hasn't and just has a lot of bad coping mechanisms that he does but he does feel like he's more confident um there's no like internal i don't really go into any of his perspective because it's the story i'm considering to be like from first person from jules's perspective so we're not like in his head really Mm. we're just kind of observing him from the outside now probably my favorite section of the book is the sequence of like several pages that are just a number of small moments kind of in montage of Casper and Jules as their relationship builds and they get to know each other. I'm curious how you decided like what moments to include there and if any of this was inspired by real world friends or relationships you've had. Yeah, a lot of those started out as just random drawings that I was doing that I, I didn't have any way to include. So I just started Like, I just had, like, kind of silly ideas for them Mm -hmm. to hang out, but I didn't really have, like, a place in the story to put those. And eventually I just accumulated so many of them that I was able to put them in, like, these big montages. And I I felt like that was, like, a good way to just convey that they were hanging out a lot and convey, like, a lot of, like... I needed to be able to convey enough development of their relationship so that it didn't feel like... It was just, like, they just met and now they're married so that it, it it seemed like there was lots of time passing between the part of this one part of the story and then the next part of the story um a lot of them are jokes that i did that i did have with like friends about like them doing doing certain things was um, the uh them riffing on each other with pussy town one of oh, those yeah, with, like, jokes i don't know what that was i don't remember I, that was just a joke with me and myself <laughs> unfortunately N- never never with anyone else with that one unfortunately <laughs> between you and h a b Now, I know you've mentioned elsewhere that you've been drawing Jules and Casper well before the chromatic fantasy came together. Could you tell us a bit about their artistic origins? Yeah. So I watched The Devils 1979. And then I was like, the costumes in this is my favorite thing ever. And that's my personality now is the costumes from The Devils, 1979. No, not true. But but I was like, these costumes are really cool. I want to research. Let's see. I want I want to research historical costumes and how clothes worked. And I I just went down like a, a rabbit hole of figuring out and learning about clothes from different time periods. And I was drawing these two characters basically just as models to put clothes on Mm. for a while and that's that's really their like origin was just that they were two guys that i drew clothes on and i accidentally came up with um lore for them yeah i think this is maybe one of the best repurposings of like inner lore or at least just like fan drawing lore i've ever seen so like (laughs) congrats there thanks (laughs) Now, were any of these images of you just drawing them in different clothes and positions? Like, there's a number of pages after the end of the story in the book just showing Jules and Casper, some in, like, more modern settings than others. Like, were any of these those early drawings, or did those come later? 
Um, no, none of those are the the early drawings. Um, I think the the really early drawings are still up on my on my Tumblr somewhere. Um, if you scroll back far enough, but those all of those drawings at the end of the book, I did like while I was working on the comic. I especially love the one about Casper's uh, scary manga shelf or <laughs> intimidating manga shelf. Uh, what 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 kind of manga do you imagine Casper's collected over the years? Casper has a really scary boys love manga collection. Um, he know I like I think he has he has like and also everything else. I think he really he, he really likes boys love. I think he likes magical girl stuff. Mm. I bet he knows about Berserk. He probably know <laughs> he probably knows about JoJo. I think he seems like he seems like somebody who'd know about JoJo. He's trans, of course he knows about JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about you though? Are you much of a manga reader yourself, or are you more leaning toward Western comics? Um, I I don't know what I do. I used <laughs> to. I feel like I used to read a lot more manga in high school. Like I used to really like Soul Eater and Death Note when I was in high school. No, it seems like the further we get into like making comics or getting involved in comics, the less time we find to actually read the comics we want. So yeah. I mean, big thank you for putting awesome stuff out like this that I then get to read for my ongoing creative projects. But yeah, no, it's a shame, like, <laughs> losing the chance to just read entire manga series in a single sitting. Yeah, I I feel like I, I spend a lot more time drawing and, like, looking at reference material and researching things for my projects than I do, like, watching or reading things just for leisure now. Like, I feel like, I feel like when I watch things, I'm kind of, like, I, I'm not really doing it for fun anymore. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm I'm like looking at it for like inspiration and 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 theft. <laughs> uh, I, I've had that to a certain extent as well, especially if I'm like watching something even a little bit weird or obscure. Like, can I take this time being put into watching some weird show and make podcast material out of this? Like, how do I make this being productive, even though I just want to watch TV? Yeah, it's really it's really hard to just have leisure time after mm. a certain point now i think one of the most noteworthy things as we've touched on so far is the gold frill print that the book's printed on and i'm curious how this came to be and like what it was like working with silver sprocket on this since i've noticed they especially as a publisher of like really awesome print styles that vary more than like even the big two pretty often yeah so i self-published it first so i came up with the like cover and spine and back design mm. for for my self-published version but i i couldn't afford to do anything like really fancy when i was designing it i was thinking like oh this would be so cool if it was like gold and had like gold edges like it's a manuscript and it looked really gaudy and ridiculous but mm. i can't i can't afford to do that for my for my baby self-publishing nonsense and when i when i was meeting with silver sprocket about about the book they asked me like what what's the most ridiculous ideal version of this book that you can imagine and then we'll work from there and i told them that i wanted like i wanted it to be really gaudy and like have as much gold shiny stuff on it as possible and have like gilded edges and stuff mm -hmm. and and they did they they did what they could to fulfill my dreams for me and it i i think it turned out really nice i'm really excited with how it turned out it's so cool i'm so happy that mm -hmm. it's hideous <laughs> How did that journey come to be of like taking this from your own self-published work to getting published through Silver Sprocket? I posted the comic online and I published it and I wasn't thinking that it would be like a whole, I, I wasn't thinking it would be a whole thing. I thought it would be like a brief thing that I did for a couple months and then I would move on to another project. And a lot of, a lot of people 
purchased the comic from me and a lot of people ordered the the comic and i i really wasn't prepared to actually like be self-publishing in in a way where like 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 people were contacting me like can you can i get this wholesale for my comic book store and i was like i can't i don't know how to do any of that i don't know how to do anything this is a baby project and i like couldn't fulfill orders but silver sprocket contacted me like I was, I was thinking about, I was going to go to Silver Sprocket and email them and ask them if, if they wanted to publish it because I couldn't handle being an indie publisher, independent publisher, but, but they emailed me and they reached out to me and I, I told them I would, I would love for them to publish it because I can't do it. And then I, they, the whole thing, it, it exists now. Now we have it. Now you mentioned thinking this would be like a short term project before moving on after a few months, but especially after your interview with Comics Beat, it sounds like you have more you'd like to do with these two. So like at this time, are you able to tell us anything about what might be next for Jules and Casper or where or when we might see them again? So like when I started actually drawing this, not when I started drawing the guys, but when I started drawing the the thing, I was thinking I would just do like short little kind of monthly things and then I ended up just drawing too much and I I kept it as like a it ended up being a graphic novel but I I really would like them to just kind of have like episodic adventures like I think that that is that's their original intent for me so I would like to do like monthly comics with them I think that would be really fun I hope that that works out no promises I mean it probably I'll I'll probably be able to do it but like still no promises just in case just in case something happens, who knows? But I would like to try to do that. I think that kind of tells me a bit about like how this book came to be. Or like, I honestly really like how the book explores both these characters through these little snippets of adventures. Like, uh, I especially love the whole Ash Grove house full of snakes and serpents section. So I see these two working well in that kind of episodic monthly storytelling. Um, but I, I did want to ask about that section in particular, like if that came before other elements of the story or how chapter three came to be. Um, so that whole part was completely different and there were, uh, well, not completely different. They were always going to go into like a snake house and there was always going to be snakes there. But um, I had like a whole different part kind of drawn and planned that I got rid of. Like, um, I just needed them to like, I just wanted them to like do something. I wanted them to be in like a fight scenario for like drama reasons. And also just, just because I want them, I wanted to like establish their kind of dynamic when they're fighting. And I wanted them to have an action sequence together is really why I put that there. Um, originally there was more, it, it also provided a little bit more character development I don't know if I should talk about what I what I did originally because it didn't end up in there. So like I've mm. I've I failed to put it into the world and it's not part of the story and it doesn't exist. So talking about it is being like, oh, I was gonna do this, but it's it didn't happen. So I mean, I'm certainly curious to know like as much as I can about this world, even the stuff that didn't make it in or that might get reshaped in the future chapters. But yeah, if you'd rather save that for when they ultimately do take shape, that's totally understandable. I mean, I can I can talk about it. Originally what was it was going to be like this thing where like the egg thing hatches specifically because of like Jules holding it and like the egg n needs to be next to like the fires of hell to, to hatch. And that's the only way it could have hatched. And it, so it needed to be, it, it wasn't going to hatch ever unless Jules picked it up. And 
it there was going to be like a whole thing about the like message of the section was going to be that Jules needed to chill out and relax and not be as intense about things. But I I felt like it was like it felt like a lesson at the end of like a children's show. So I took it out and made the snake made of blood because I was like, no, this needs to be for grownups. I can't make a baby show. This feels like a baby show. It needs to be for grownups, I said. And then I removed like months of work. Uh, I think that's maybe the most like heartfelt kill your darlings experience I've maybe ever heard on the show. But like that's <laughs> oh, uh, I, I certainly understand that, though. Like I, I like how. I don't know if I'd say they quite feel like lessons, but I mean, like Jules chills the hell out for a second as a chapter. Like, I think that totally works. And honestly, your chapter titles alone work plenty well as their own little self-contained lessons that then get explored. So like, I feel that and I feel like not wanting to have a moral of the story. But like, I still think the what made it onto the page really works. It does give us that action scene and like... I was getting kind of page master vibes from the whole section. I think it, a lot of it has to do with the all the color and like the flooding of the blood and all that. So like it it felt very much like an old fantasy story, even if it is like kind of adjacent to everything else that's going on with the main two characters. Like these are the kind of detours I sort of expect from any kind of long form fantasy story. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning Page Master. I almost forgot about Page Master. <laughs> oh my god, I loved that movie so much when I was a kid. I feel like that's still like ingrained in like my uh, my like subconscious. I I love like I love the feeling of like the memory of like an animated movie more so than actually watching the animated movie. Like I love the the feeling of like remembering old kind of vaguely scary like don bluth movies mm. especially like don bluth. i know that page master is not don bluth as far as i know i think it's somebody else but or like that or like brave little toaster or something and like the mm-hmm. feeling of remembering but not being able to remember it very well and i really hope that that was that was also something i was thinking about a lot like how i was drawing things and coloring things of like trying to remember what animated movies look like without actually having it look like a real one mm. if that makes sense yeah and I think Sorry. Page Master is like the perfect example of that exact feeling because every time someone mentions being nostalgic for that specific movie, I always call it like, are you wanting to watch Page Master or are you wanting to watch the VHS trailer for Page Master? Because that's what's ingrained into my brain because it was before the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, which I wore out tapes of that growing up. So I'm very intimately familiar with every trailer out of that film. And like that's that's how I always remember Page Master. And when I ever eventually did get around to watching the movie, it didn't quite live up to everything my child mind imagined it would be. Yeah, like I I think I tried I tried watching it as an adult at some point, and I was like, no, no, I much prefer remembering being scared of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde than mm-hmm. I do like actually consciously knowing what ha- what it, what this looks like in real life. I like my memories of it better than actually re-experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Now, on that, like, older cartoon inspiration vibe, uh, Jules's design reminded me quite a bit of The Last Unicorn. And I was curious if that at all was anything that, like, you consumed growing up or if that was an inspiration at all. I've actually never seen The Last Unicorn all the way through. Um, So I'm not... I've had a couple people say that he reminds them of The Last Unicorn, but I'm not sure what what character, because I don't think I... I don't think I got to to that character at any point i think um, it's fully like when they're thrown out of the nunnery 
and he like cuts off his hair and it's all falling down of my vague memory of that one person that gets mad at the unicorn because she didn't come visit her when she was a virgin like that's the that's the through line for me like yeah Jules kind of looks like that in this one scene and their little white schmock that they're given for wilderness adventures um Jules's design comes from like a couple different places for me um one of them is just like the portrait of a young Dionysus by Caravaggio um and his eyebrows I I love how his eyebrows look in that painting and then um the other place is like when I was like really little sorry this is another like memory where like the memory itself is cooler than whatever it actually is (laughs) that's Um, nostalgia baby (laughs) (laughs) um but um I had like this illustrated book of like the secret garden that like one of the characters or like the the girl was drawn in this way where she had these really really thick eyebrows and my mom would always comment on it and be like god that's so 80s she looks so <laughs> 80s with these eyebrows and i i don't remember anything else about like what the illustrations look like in that book other than this girl's eyebrows because of my mom mentioning it in that way so that's that's the other origin He's basically just born from his eyebrows. There's the rest of him could look like fucking anything. <laughs> mm. I like to think that that's going to be Jules's eventual origin story that he tells others, like how Casper was allegedly raised by wolves. Jules came to be from the caterpillars that were his eyebrows. They oh, yeah. morphed he, into the rest he was of Jules. born out of his. He was born out of his eyebrows. Um, someone mm. put two sticks on the ground, and then he was. Those were those were his eyebrows, I guess. I don't know. That was gonna go for. I had a I had a vision in my head, but no way to verbalize it. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> now I know you've mentioned like having various old, vaguely remembered cartoons as inspiration, like Don Bluth cartoons or like Ralph Bakshi cartoons, and that's like a weird subgenre of media that I really love finding weird stuff from because like even most old eighties, nineties cartoons for adults I see aren't like good they're always not like anything else i've ever seen before like someone showed me rock and rule and i'm like what what uh, is this <laughs> i love i love rock and rule rock and rule fucking owns it does rock and it does rule i love rock and roll um have you ever come across felliday um that that's about cats isn't it yeah isn't it like a violent movie about cats incredibly violent movie about cats like if it's like if seven and oliver and company had a very like a more violent baby than either of those films (laughs) i've never i've never watched feel day i've just seen screenshots from it so i don't Mm. i don't know that much about it Uh, i'll put it like this uh so cats 2019 is unironically like my favorite movie to watch (laughs) because there's nothing else like it on any substance you might be consuming it is a different and incredible experience and there's no other movie that's like yeah it's not good but there's no movie that's bad in the same ways and i think that makes it better than most good movies and i've shown this to almost everyone that's ever been close to me in my life and this one person was like, oh, I can one-up you with weird cat media. And she proceeds to show me Felidae. And sure enough, yeah, way weirder than Cats 2019. Like, I don't, I hope children didn't see this, but I know it was lost media for a number of years. And I like to think that someone did that on purpose, that this was meant to be lost. I love, I love stuff like that. I should watch, I should try to find Felidae. I'm sure, I'm sure I would enjoy, like, I I love when animation is like scary, especially. Mm. 
I think that more animation should be scary. I think that drawings being scary is fun. Um, I don't that that's not very deep. <laughs> it didn't no. go further. Uh, I think, but. but that is a thought we need in American comics because I feel like for a long time, like that was the general consensus among kids is like drawings being scary is fun. We have Tales from the Crypt and all these EC comics, and yeah. then the superheroes took over and we didn't get any scary comics for like 20 years. So that sentiment as simple as it is, is very needed in comics and keep, keep drawing the spooky things. I don't though. I don't, I don't think the chromatic fantasy turned out very scary. I think it's mostly cute, mm. but I do, I do like, um, I can, I can draw some scary things. I need to get scarier. Yeah, sometimes I, it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes you just draw cute stuff and that's just who you are. Even if you want it to be scary. But. Now, like I, I would love to see you do something a little closer to that, even if it's not like a full on horror comic. I feel like you could really pull off that like this moment is way too scary to be in an otherwise children's film look better than probably anyone else I've had on this show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the like the villain death at, at the end of Help, I'm a Fish <laughs> um, or like. I don't know. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. That was just on my Twitter feed recently. So <laughs> I'm, I'm still thinking about that. But yeah. Um, Are there any other like weird, obscure animated films from like the 80s, 90s, 70s that you'd recommend I should look into? Because yeah, it's a very eclectic medium that like I feel you just kind of have to find through word of mouth. Um, Not mm, other than rock and roll. I mean, the other inspiration for this was Raggedy Ann and Andy, a musical adventure. I don't know how mm. obscure that one is. Um, I think that's fairly obscure. I've not seen it, but I do hear about it on the like, this is one of the most fucked up kids movies of all time lists. It's it's not. I don't think it's that fucked up. It's just kind of weird and has like a kind of sad energy. Mm. Um, Like, or or there's some parts of it that just feel like very, very sad for no reason. But like, and also kind of weird. And I guess there is that part with like the the weird goopy guy and he's he doesn't stop moving around and it looks like it was a so much fun but also so hard to animate it looks like it like it looks like they were having such fun animating it but i know that it took it probably took like forever to do i don't i don't think it's it would probably would have scared me when i was a kid but it's not like it's not like feel a day or anything Hmm. it's just kind of weird and from the 70s and um made by richard like animated by um richard williams um animation company i mean but. it doesn't help that raggedy ann and andy are in themselves pretty creepy like i know annabelle like from the conjuring movies but in real life was apparently a haunted raggedy ann doll so i mean there's, yeah. there's just an inherently scary factor about those characters yeah they are like made of like rags and they she does like talk about her stitches and stuff like in the movie which is a little bit weird Mm. but and then the other the other one the other movie that i was looking at well it's not really a movie and i i think this is much less obscure but um don bluth's dragon's lair though not not the whole thing mostly just the i haven't actually like played dragon's lair or really looked at all of it um mostly just like the girl in the bubble and she's like she's like the key or whatever oh my god Mm. my voice doesn't get that high anymore Oh no, I can't do that voice Congrats. anymore. Congrats. <laughs> um, where she's like the key is in is in the over there around the dragon's neck or whatever. Mostly just that scene from Don Blue's Dragon Slayer. Mm. I'm surprised you've seen enough of Dragon Slayer to take inspiration because like every time I've seen one of those machines in the wild, I can never get more than like nine seconds into that game if I'm lucky. 
Oh, I just I just like animation and I just like the animation. I have I have like no interest in playing Dragon's Lair. I think mm. I've just like gone and watched the little cutscenes because I like Don Bluth. There's mm. always there's always like two different directions that you converge onto Dragon's Lair. I think from where you you come from, I like Don Bluth, or you come from, I like weird video games, mm. and it depends. Yeah, it's a shame that like that didn't take off this genre of completely animated video games. Like, yeah, I'm really shocked at how little the realm of film and TV has like really crossed in like the interactive storytelling element. Like we'll get one choose your adventure video thing like every five years, but I'm like, how, how do we sink so much money into video games and we don't have more that are closer to movies? I know. I feel like there's gotta be, I mean, there's like some like 2d animated, like fighting games and like, there's like cuphead and stuff. Mm. I feel like, I feel like that's where 2d animation is like more functional for for video games is like fighting games and anything that's like side scrolling i think it's really hard to like navigate like a i guess there's like point and click like a 90s like fmv game Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure now uh, a couple last questions uh relating to your work specifically but um I, i am curious about what your work currently looks like as a cartoonist outside of the chromatic fantasy like do you do commissions or do any work for others or is it all your own stuff um i'm currently just working on the chromatic fantasy though i i did have other things that i did in the past that were not this particular aesthetic I'm I'm currently working on on the chromatic fantasy all the time. Mm. So that that's the aesthetic of like what my work looks like right now, but I've drawn other things in the past and I used to draw like creatures and monsters and like kind of like Akira-esque body horror type things too. Mm. Um I don't I don't currently do commissions. I'm not organized enough for that. <laughs> I kind of I kind of I'm hesitant to to say this on a podcast because I do want to like actually do work eventually where where I have like a job and I do art. But for me, a lot of the time I have to just like have the thing that I'm really obsessed with for like a couple years and and just ride that out. And that's the only thing that I'm that's the only thing I can think about. And it's the only thing that I work on. And that's that's just way how my brain has always worked, where I will have like a specific a very very specific thing that i really like and it's the only thing that i care about for maybe two or three years and then it completely goes away and i can never return to it ever again and i'm never interested in it even even a little bit never comes Mm. back and it's really hard for me to focus on things outside of whatever i'm really obsessed with for that time period so I can get the the hyper focus then to get us as much jewels and Casper before the hyper interest leaves. So I appreciate yeah. your dedication. Thank you. Now, uh, in your comic speed interview, you also mentioned having a comic about baseball, specifically in quotes that you want to write someday. And oh, yeah. I'm curious if you can tell us anything about this or why the baseball in quotes. Um, you'll find out. Mm, okay. Yep. It's going to be also about two trans guys. This one's going to be about two trans guys who hate each other. So it's not <laughs> going to be a romance, although it will kind of still be, it'll still feel like a romance, but it will, it won't be like Jules and Casper where they're like, where it's like a buddy comedy or anything like that. Um, mm. It's going to be about two trans guys who hate each other and they play baseball together and they kill each other over baseball. And one of them wants to be the best at baseball. Um, and baseball is 
like like i i will destroy this whole fucking world to be the best at baseball so we'll find we'll see we'll see what happens with that i feel like given the wild success of wwe and professional wrestling like I'm I'm shocked that more sports haven't tried to go this route of adding like world ending stakes and like this high level of character to their sports. Yeah. Baseball especially kind of a boring sport. I think they really need to be adding like some like gonzo like murder elements to it. I think people should be getting killed on the field and that's really what I'm what I'm planning, what I'm hoping for. Like it, it lends itself so well, or at least similar sports. Like my girlfriend just showed me this uh, Bollywood film, Lagan, that's about cricket more than it is baseball, but like eh, kind of the same. Uh, and yeah, that had that same route of like with every character, like having such a specific role at a specific time in the film and being able to build all this tension around like one person batting, like that's perfect for it. So like, I get why there's so many good baseball movies, but like, can we take this to the like anime level or the almost like drag like level of WWE? Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a roller derby. Can we take it to a roller derby place where we're killing each other and there's that mm. music? Like, I'm so glad you said that. Cause that actually is something that I thought of this last weekend of maybe not as a comic and more of a real world thing. Like I I've been doing this unofficial trans skating night in my town and helping other people get there. And we just got someone that's like the fourth best style skater in the nation that's showing up. And like, okay, if my life's a sports movie, this is the person that like, I don't know, is the one that whips our ragtag bunch into shape. And then we become awesome at roller derby or something. But like, rather than worry about all the trans people in sports politics or the worry about ruining my perfect teeth playing roller derby, I'm thinking like, wait, if we do the WWE route, maybe add an element of like drag performance to it. Like, then we can plan this out and have extra safety precautions and, like, do something way more entertaining than just an actual sport alone. And, I mean, maybe I can more easily translate that into a comic book than the real-world invention of a new sport. But regardless, I need to manifest this idea somehow in some way. Yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds awesome. There should be, there should be more gay sports. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think there should be more more sports where the plot is that you're gay yeah you can't go further with that i guess (laughs) i feel that though like the the whole genre of anime and manga has been doing that where the whole sport of i don't know tennis or swimming or pretty much everything now is just but you're gay oh yeah my friend is my friend is really into this anime blue lock which i haven't really watched but they keep showing it to me um which is about boys and they're in like this dystopian soccer nightmare thing Mm. like they're all in they're in this soccer facility like they're in a facility that's to make them the best possible at soccer and they're all like trapped and i guess they're maybe being experimented on to make them the best at soccer there really needs to be more stuff like that yeah the the whole world of sports horror films and horror anime is very underexplored I'm, i'm with you on this now, uh, as a kind of final wrap-up question here, I always like to have one light question tailored to the subject matter or toward the guest. But as mentioned, the genre of like queer sword fighting romance fantasy has gotten surprisingly busy these last few years. I think She-Ra probably helped with that a bit. So I wanted to ask about your favorite queer sword fighting couple in media. Oh, oh I don't think... I don't actually know that much about queer sword fighting. 
Mm. Despite my despite my having written one, I don't have an answer to that. I'm sorry. So I think by default that makes Jules and Casper your favorite, since I mean they're currently the main focus of your creative life. Yeah, they're they're all I think about 24 hours a day, and I live with them. So <laughs> yeah, I think that makes them your favorite. Then, like, yeah, I think we can go with that. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all. But um, if you're if you're comfortable plugging your social media, HA, uh, where can my audience find you? Um, I am dirtcup underscore art on Instagram and Twitter, and my Tumblr is just dirtcup, and I'm. I think I'm technically on Blue Sky. I did make a Blue Sky, if you want that. I I did follow you on Blue Sky today, so I I know it's there. Okay, it is there. I'll try to post on it more, but that's that's about it. Hmm. Uh, Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, You've left me really excited to see what else you have in store for Jules and Casper, and I hope to see a couple more books in this world before your hyperfixation moves on to the next thing. Thank you so much. If the listeners at home have requests or recommendations for comics or creators you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Transcending Comics Instagram and Facebook page, on Twitter as at Transcend Comics, or email us at transcendingcomics at gmail.com. We'd like to thank you again for giving our podcast a chance and give a special shout out to Ray Day Parade for designing our logo. Our intro and outro music this week is A Little Soul and You've Been Starring by Carlson. Check out more of his music on carlson.com. Join us again next week as we continue transcending boundaries and exploring the colorful world of trans, non-binary, and genderqueer representation in comic books of all kinds. As the curtains fall on this episode of Transcending Comics, remember that comics have the power to inspire change in countless worlds, including our own. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep transcending.